Okay, we start talking about Caleb. We're uh, turn to uh, Numbers 11. I think I, we did background last week, but I'm going to do background again to get us running up to Joshua chapter 13. And we're going to try to, since we have a break for two weeks, is that, that's right, next week we're not together, the week after we're not together on Wednesdays, we're going to try to get to the end of chapter 19 from 13. Uh, but we're going to go fast and high over that. So, uh, just to get some background for Caleb and his request for his inheritance uh, that we'll see in uh, Joshua, right out of Egypt, three months out of Egypt, Israel comes to Mount Sinai, the foot of the mountain. Moses goes up to God. God says, obey me, obey my voice, keep my covenant, and you'll be my treasured possession. Says to Moses, Moses comes down the mountain and tells them all the Lord has spoken. Israel says to Moses, go tell God whatever he says, we'll do it. Moses goes back up the mountain and reports their commitment. And God says, I'm going to give you my law. I'm going to lay it all out for you, the Mosaic Covenant. The people will see when I speak with you. Uh, they'll have no doubt of my presence with you. Uh, Moses goes back down and says, this is going to happen in three days. You need to get ready. Prepare yourselves. And God has laid out some uh, preparation for it. Uh, Moses goes back up the mountain, receives the law 40 days and 40 nights. At the end of the, uh, during that time, Aaron has persuaded them to build the golden calf. While God, while Moses is gone, taking too long, uh, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose to play. God says to Moses, it's time to go down. Uh, they've turned aside from their word to me quickly. How quickly they've turned aside. Uh, they're stiff-necked, God says. And to Moses, he says, now let me alone that my wrath may consume them. And that's when Moses intercedes on their behalf and God relents. Uh, so Moses descends. He destroys the tablets. He chastens Aaron. What do you think you're doing? And Aaron says, Moses, you know these people. I couldn't withstand them. Uh, and so Moses draws the line. Not, but Moses says, all right, who, who's on the Lord's side? Declare your uh, commitment to the Lord, to all of the people. Sort of what will happen at the end of Joshua's day. Choose you this day whom you will serve. You know, as far as it is with me and my household, we're going to, uh, serve the Lord. So God commands the uh, Israelites to leave Sinai, to uh, go towards the promised land. He promises to go with them. It's at this point that Moses kind of displays weakness in his faith. He says, how can I know you're with me? Show me your glory. And so God in his loving kindness shows him as much of his glory as Moses can stand. Nine months later, they're still at the foot of, the, or they're still wandering in Sinai. In Numbers chapter 11, uh, verse 10, I think we can start at, uh, ver well, let's see. Verse 1, the people complained in the hearing 
of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. And the people cried out to Moses and Moses praised to the Lord. The fire dies down. Uh, verse 10 Moses heard the people weeping through their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly uh, as Moses was displeased. Now, what they were weeping about up in verse uh, uh, 4, now the, rabbit, the rabble that was among them had strong craving. The people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. That's pretty amazing. It cost us nothing in Egypt. We had free food. And then eat cucumbers, melons. Uh, but now our strength is dried up. The manna was like, and you know, nothing but manna. Uh, so the Lord, in verse 10, is blazing against them. And then Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of this people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? That they should, I mean, Moses blaming God, right? Uh, this is, uh, did I blame, did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child? to the land that you swore to give to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all, to all the people? For they weep before me and say, Give us meat that we may eat. I'm not alone. I'm not able to carry all this people alone. The burden's too heavy. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. This is the way it's going to be. Just strike me dead. He says, If I find favor in your sight that I may see not see my wretchedness, kill me. And so God, uh, Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, appoints uh, 70 elders. As Moses appoints 70 elders, spreads, it's a strange passage, he spreads his spirit that Moses has on him amongst these 70 uh, elders uh, that he appoints. And then he says, if you want meat to eat, you got it. Quail for 30 days, so much so it's, you're going to hate it. It's going to come out, well, come out your nostrils. It's, uh, you're going to have your meat. That's what you want. Okay. And so uh, that's where they are as they're taking off. Uh, Miriam in chapter 12, Miriam and Aaron opposed Moses. They grumble against Moses. Verse, uh, uh, yeah, uh, that's all of chapter 12. Then the spies are sent out into the land in chapter 13. Uh, and uh, that's where Caleb and Joshua are the two spies of 12 who come back and say, we can do this. That's, we got this. We can do it. Chapter 13. Uh, verse 25 at the end of 40 days they returned from spying out the land they came to Moses and Aaron to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh 
they brought back word to them and all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Said, we came to the land, you're right, it's a land of milk and honey. Uh, to uh, the leadership. Uh, but, but God forgot to tell us they're big people. They're giants in the land. Uh, and verse 30 but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with them said, we're not able to go up against them. And so there's a division in the camp. Uh, and uh, the people grumble again against Moses and Aaron in chapter 14, verse 4, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Uh, I mean, after all, the food's free there. Doesn't cost us anything. Uh, verse 8. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. This is Caleb speaking. Do not fear the people of the land. They are bred for us. Their protection is removed and the, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared. And so the Lord says to Moses, how long will this people despise me? God and Moses have some interesting conversations. How long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I've done among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them and make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. And Moses intercedes again. And God answers Moses' prayer. Um, Verse 20, let's go down to verse 20 after Moses intercedes. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, none of them shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. So Caleb, there's Caleb's faithfulness. Um, he has the courage to stand. Now, it almost cost him his life but he's given the promise of entering into the promised land when none of the rest would. Now we're in Joshua 13. There's still land to be conquered, uh, but in chapter... Th no, chapter 14. Let's, let's read chapter in 14, verse 12. And this is Caleb who has approached Joshua as they're beginning to apportion the land out. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. 
Then Joshua blessed him. He gave him Hebron to Caleb. He gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron was for, formerly Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. So Joshua and Caleb are both devoted to the faith. This is Caleb speaking to Joshua about uh, asking for his inheritance. It's a, the reward for his faithfulness, the courage to stand alone. Uh, uh, as a minority report, uh, they both, we didn't read about Joshua, but Joshua was there with him in numbers. And so often, you know, if you have, if you have to stand with an opposite position, a hard position. Um, you're not the most uh, likable person, often, right? Um, uh, it puts you in a place of isolation. Uh, sometimes loneliness. You know, you think about our faithful teenagers who, who may have to stand alone by themselves against the tide. Uh, some of you who are in business, uh, compromising the, the pressure to compromise in unethical job assignments. Um, sometimes we, uh, leaders in churches, have to make this, uh, we have to say no to certain desires. Sometimes we have to make decisions that are not always that popular, doing our best to follow the Lord. Uh, but the ten represented the majority of the Israelites, and they, um, you get to Judges 2, those ten who want to go back to Egypt, uh, the, the tribes in, as in Judges right after Joshua dies, they're immediately in idolatry, the northern kingdom in particular, but they're, they're into idolatry. They expose themselves a uh, fault of uh, Canaanite worship, no faith to stand alone. Uh, in chapter 14, verse 6, basis for Caleb's request is what God has said. Verse 6, the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. Joshua, remember when we had to stand alone in Numbers. He didn't say in Numbers, but he said in Kadesh Barnea. Uh, and so he appeals to what God has said. Um, that's verse, verse 9. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot is trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed uh, the Lord. The basis for his request is what God has said. Now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, verse 10. And he said these, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke his word to Moses. 45 years wandering in the wilderness, I'm still alive. He's kept me alive now through the war of the conquest. Uh, the Lord has, according to the word of the Lord, Joshua I'm asking for this piece of land. When we, 
when you begin to divide it up. In verse 12, one more time, he speaks about the Lord, the word of the Lord. So his request is nothing more than what God promised. God had already promised him, uh, and again, our faith. The faith that we have is to be anchored in the promises of God. Uh, all other ground we sing, all other ground is sinking sand. Christ is our solid rock, and his promises are on uh, that on which we base our lives, our requests, uh, and our choices. Verse 10, now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. He's remembering uh, what God has done, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke his word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me uh, my streak. So there's his perspective. Gratitude to God for what he's done for him, for what God has done in the past. Uh, and God is still blessing him as old as he is. Uh, one of the, I think uh, one of the commentators, faith takes in God's goodness, responds in gratitude, and then finds grace for the next circumstance of life. Verse 12, so give me this country in Hebron. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll divide the land up here shortly. Uh, but Hebron, well, Hebron you can't see because the light's not on. Hebron is right here in the middle of the land that Judah is given. There's Hebron. That's the area that, that Caleb is asking for. Uh, and I don't, it doesn't delineate how far, uh, how, how, how expansive the land is, but that's the main city that he receives. And it's, you know, verse 13, then Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. So that's his inheritance. Uh, then um, just go to chapter 15, the allotment for Judah. Uh, in the first 12 verses, the boundaries are laid out. And so you see, and we could read all those verses, but essentially there's the land of Judah, a large portion. There's Dan and Ephraim, Manasseh. And Manasseh has some part over here. Uh, you have Gad, Reuben. You see the rest of these. But by far, Manasseh, Ephraim, and Judah have the largest allotment. Uh, then uh, verse 13, you're going to get a more detailed uh, description of Caleb's land according to the commandment of the Lord. Joshua gave to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, a portion among the people of Judah, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. And Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak. That's the giants that uh, they were so afraid of. And he went up from there against the inhabitants of Debir. Now the name of Debir formerly was Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, whoever strikes Kiriath Sefer and captures it, he says he'll give his daughter. So Othniel uh, goes and captures Debir, and he, and he gets uh, Caleb's daughter as wife, and they settle 
there. So that's Caleb's land. Uh, 114 cities plus the villages all the way down to uh, verse 62, verse 63. Okay, so here's Judah, and there's Jerusalem in Judah on the southern tip of Benjamin, but it belongs to Judah, um, verse 63. But the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah could not drive out so the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah and Jerusalem to this day. So when Joshua is written, the Jebusites are still uh, uh, inhabiting and controlling uh, Je uh, Jerusalem. And they do until so somebody takes it over. David takes Jerusalem as the capital. Uh, when he is king, and he finally gets the Jebusites out. But the important part is they didn't get rid of the Jebusites. So Canaanites are still in the land. That's the danger. Uh, chapter 16. The allotment for Ephraim and Manasseh, 16 and 17. The land that's being divided up, and other than those that said, "Hey, we were like the land on the east of the Jordan," yeah. Do we have any indication as to how or why Joshua gave this portion from this river to this river to certain tribes, and as opposed to other tribes, or do we do we think this is he did so he divvied it up at the direction of the Lord, or? Do we have any indication of that? Yeah, we'll get an indication of why Manasseh, uh, Ephraim, and Judah have such large portion. We'll get that. But what we learned last week was how did, they, how did he determine it? He rolled the dice, cast lots, and the Lord's in charge of the lots. Or the, uh, yes, the Lord's in charge of the lots. So that's, that's about all we have. Uh, anybody want to add to that? Okay. So 16 and 17 are going to be Joseph's land, but there's no tribe of Joseph, no land for Joseph, because his sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, uh, get the land. Chapter 16, it just begins, the allotment of the people of Joseph went from and he lays out their land on the east side of the Jordan. It goes from right here, from Dor, down the Jordan River, and then across the Ephraim and a little piece of Dan, and then back to the sea. So uh, that's Manasseh and Ephraim, Joseph's two sons. Uh, the 5 through 10 of chapter 16, the rest of chapter 16 gives the specific borders of Ephraim. Uh, verse 10, however, here's Ephraim's land. You see it there. However, they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer up on the north end. Uh, I believe, uh, yeah, up on the north end, just south of Shechem. Uh, 
Gezer is not on this map, but I think it's going to be right in here. They didn't drive the Canaanites out uh, who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites have lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, but have been made to do forced labor. So at least they're forced to uh, servants of Ephraim. Then chapter 17 is Manasseh. Uh, all the clans of Manasseh are listed. Uh, then verse 3. Now, Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, son of Gilead, son of Machir, uh, son of Manasseh, had no sons but only daughters. These are the names of his daughters. He gives the five daughters. Uh, any names moms might want to use there? Uh, Mala, Noah, Hogla. <laughs> yeah, well, they approached Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun. So there, Charlie, at the... Right here, at least it's a theological dividing up. Eleazar the priest is involved. Uh, again, God is in charge, of course, with the casting of the lots. But they come to Eleazar and Joshua and the leaders and said, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance along with our brothers. So according to the mouth of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among the brothers of their father. Thus there fell to Manasseh ten portions instead of for the five, I think it's five sons. There's ten portions. So that's, that's a reason why Manasseh has so much more. That's one of the reasons why Manasseh has so much more. Um, and then uh, thus there fell, verse 5, ten portions besides the land of Gilead and Bashan, which is on the other side of the Jordan, because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance along with his sons. The land of Gilead was allotted to the rest of the people of Manasseh across on the other side. Uh, and then the territories of Manasseh are uh, spelled out there. Uh, verse 12, yet the people of Manasseh could not take possession of a series of cities that he mentions uh, along the northern border. He mentions a series of cities along this northern border here, and they didn't take those cities. They, the, the people of Manasseh could not take possession, but the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in the land. So again, Canaanites, the pagans are left. Uh, and then verse 14 to 18, he sort of explains partly why uh, Judah, Ephraim, and Manasseh have the largest lots. The people of Joseph asked for more land. There are more people. And just a couple of reasons. If we go back to the end of Genesis, Judah plays a big part in negotiating between Jacob and uh, Joseph as they are not living in the country and the famine comes and Judah speaks on behalf of everyone and he speaks to Joseph for his dad's side. He, he convinces his dad about taking uh, the youngest son. And so Judah plays a big part in uh, the continuing or preserving of Israel in the days of Egypt, as does Joseph. And then Joseph's two uh, sons, receive the portion and that Manasseh receives a large portion because 
they doubled the land for the uh, daughters who had no portion. So, anything there? Anything to mention? All right, so we have now chapter 18, the allotment of the remaining land. We got seven tribes left. Uh, 18.1, then the whole congregation of the people of Israel assembled at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. The land lay subdued before them. Uh, again, a, a little bit of a theological context as the uh, tent, the worship, their worship tent, the tabernacle is, is raised and set up. And Joshua gives instructions, verse 4, Provide three men from each tribe of the seven tribes left. I will send them out that they may set out and go up and down the land. They shall write a description of it with a view to their inheritances and then come to me. They shall divide into seven portions. Judah shall continue in his territory on the south, and the house of Joseph shall continue in the territory to the north. And you shall describe the land in seven divisions and bring the description here to me, and I will cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. Then the Levites, the, he mentions uh, the Levites who have no, verse 7, the Levites have no portion. Uh, they're the priests. Uh, but uh, listen, let's, and they have no portion. Gad and Reuben are on the other side of the river, along with half of Manasseh. Uh, and the men rise, do that. The men uh, went up and down, passed down, verse 9. And in the land, they come to Joshua at the end of verse 9 to camp, to, to the camp at Shiloh. And Joshua cast lots. And there Joshua apportioned the land to the people of Israel, to each his portion. So seven tribes uh, and then through uh, 18 and 19, we have those, the uh, division, the boundaries, and the cities of those seven tribes that are left. And you see them all. Notice Simeon is inside of uh, Judah. You have Simeon right there. Dan comes down. A uh, piece of Manasseh comes all the way down to the Dead Sea. But those are the 12 tribes as it's laid out initially uh, verse 49 of chapter 19 yeah we'll be good when they finished distributing the several territories of the land as inheritances the people of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua the son of Nun by command of the Lord they gave him the city he asked that he asked Timnasera in the hill country of Ephraim, and he built the city and settled in it. And there, I, it's just southeast of Jerusalem. Uh, hardly any maps have it that I could find, uh, but it is just outside of uh, Jerusalem, verse 50, by command of the Lord, they gave him the city that he asked in the hill country of Ephraim, and he rebuilt the city and settled it. These are the inheritance that Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the father's 
houses of the tribes of the people of Israel distributed by lot at Shiloh before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting so they finish dividing the land. So it's real estate. It's real land and real people inherit, real tribes. Uh, you know, so often, let's see, let's think about this. In, in thinking about how, what we do with passages like this, we want to find the, as one commentator says, many look for timeless truths behind the husk of the text. So you think about what a, a, a grain of rice and got the husk on it. You want to get rid of the husk, and there's the and it's saying, we look at the text as the husk, and we want to get rid of the husk so we can see the truths behind the text. Well, there are applications to it, but he continues and says the text is the timeless truth. And throughout this text, according to the word of God, according to the word of God, according to what the Lord told Moses. Uh, and so uh, this is the voice of God kind of entering into history and, and controlling all of history here in these days. And the big deal is Israel received what God promised. This is the promised land. Uh, the names are important, in particular to the people whose names are recorded. But for us, it's the fact that this is God's promise fulfilled. And so for us, we can know that God is faithful, that God's word is reliable. Uh, and there's a sense, have they conquered the whole land? No, but they already have their uh, uh, portion. They have their inheritance, but not yet do they have the full inheritance. Uh, we have our inheritance, right? Waiting for us in heaven. Reserved for us in heaven, incorruptible, undefiled, and never pass away. But we don't possess it yet. But we already have the Holy Spirit who is the down payment, who is the uh, guarantee of our inheritance. Uh, so there's some spiritual truths. That's these timeless truths of this. And you say, wow, that's, I mean, you know, that's really hard to, Stay awake through. But it is the word of God, God fulfilling his word and teaching us that whatever promises we have, God will be faithful. Not always as we want, not always when we want, but always as he purposes. Faithful to himself uh, for his glory and for our good. So the land is Israel's inheritance, a gift, you know, handed down. Remember, you go all the way back, where is it, Deuteronomy 7 maybe? Or where uh, is it 7 where he says, you don't think you guys are special, you're small, you're tiny, you're not mighty, but I loved you. 
and here's their land that they're possessing. They didn't earn it. It's a family heirloom. You have an heirloom? You have any heirlooms passed down from generation to generation? They have it. It's God's land. God owns the land. He fought for his people, as we saw, as they were conquering. God fought the battles. Uh, he used their army to drive the enemies out. They weren't to sell the land. I think the year of Jubilee, as you know, they would lose pieces of land uh, for debt and things like that. But every 50 years, there's a reset to go back to the homeland of the inheritance. Uh, and again, the, uh, the allotment was a religious act. Eleazar's involved. God's hand is involved. Uh, Eleazar, the priest, is mentioned a number of times. The, the Levites, who have no land, they're the priesthood, no land, but the, they have the offering. We saw that they have the offerings by fire, and they get to select select portions when the people bring the offerings they get for their food the select portions of the sacrifices that are brought uh, in, in 1333 we saw the lord god is their inheritance for the levites and then we'll see later on they're given cities uh, to for their flocks to pasture in so the priesthood is their inheritance uh, they had a place to live because of God uh, who cared for their needs. He gave them food to eat. He gave them a task to serve him in the, tabard, in the tent of meeting and in the temple eventually. Uh, but he was their inheritance, which was so much greater than any pieces of land that the others uh, received. Uh, but now... This inheritance that was for the Levi is no longer for one small group of people. Uh, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In the new covenant, we are the priests of God, a kingdom of priests. And our inheritance is God himself. As he sent his only son, and we become his own possession. And he's our possession. And that's where we're going to stop. And we'll take up some more in the promised land. We've only got about four more chapters, and we're done with Joshua. Any questions, any comments, anybody to help us through a, a fast? Yes, Charlie. A comment and a question both. Several. The comment is, I think one of the reasons that we struggle with, with passages like this is because we, it, it's unfamiliar geography for us. If you took this same, this same account and overlaid it in Texas and said that, you know, Manasseh got from Lufkin... To, to Fort Worth, to east of, of something, that would mean something more to us. We don't know the geography here. Yeah. So when you read these passages, it makes it more difficult. I think that's a piece of it. 
Yeah. It's just we don't know the necessarily the players. If you overlay this with you know American history, and you're talking about the founding fathers and the folks of the 1800s, the names we knew or familiar with, it wouldn't be as difficult. Yeah, we uh, a, a long weeks ago, right? We kind of remembered, or we started out here. Uh, from Dan to Beersheba, which is really the south end of Judah to the north end of East Manasseh up there, that's here to Lufkin. And from Reuben across to Ashkelon, uh, one of the cities on the uh, Mediterranean Sea, that's about here to Beaumont. That's the nation of Israel. Here to Lufkin, over to Beaumont. That's it. Piney Woods, the heart of the Piney Woods. But, I mean, that's small, right? That's small. Um, There's a pattern here through these chapters of they could not drive them out. Yeah. They would not. So is that closer to a would not? Yes. Well, God says I'll drive them out, but you're going to do it, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I would. It doesn't say would not, uh, but the Lord did bless their obedience. Yeah. Again, you think about the ten; they didn't have the heart. They didn't have the fortitude to do to do what it took. Their commitment wavered. Happens to people all the time, right? There, there's the place we're looking at, right? That's, that's Israel in the world. Uh, so there's Israel today. We looked at that. Um, what is this? This is the extent of the promised land already, but not yet. So, uh, huh? It's all bank, huh? It's all, yeah, yeah, um, uh, yes. You know, the, uh, I have the devotion in just a minute, but the thing you, you, you think about the Arabs and the Jews living here and fighting because of the conflicts of, of their culture. And what in the world could, what could bring us together in fellowship from all of our different areas? The gospel, of course, right? And just reading, I read it again yesterday, Bethlehem has stripped the entire city of any vestige of Christianity. The one thing that could help solve this war, the gospel, they've rejected completely. Uh, It's just ironic. And it's history the history of man and his sin. And only the gospel can put us back together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace to us. Why us? Not because we're smart. Not because, Father, we're a mighty people. But because you loved us so much, you sent your only son. And then you executed what you determined before the foundation of the world as you saved us. Lord, help us to remember and help us 
to be grateful and look forward to the consummation of our inheritance in Jesus' name. Amen.